Hey guys, welcome back. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Permitted with Conditions. I'm Sam the Intern, as always. And now, let's get things started with part five of our interview with Becky McRae. Uh, we, we, we spoke about this a little earlier. Um, and you know, here in Washington State, housing is a big issue. We talk a lot about it here on the Permitted with Conditions blog because it, you know, in Washington, we're over 100,000 housing units behind right now in production, and it's like a deficit that's growing by 10,000 units a year, and legislature's been big on making fixes structurally by, you know, instituting statewide reform measures to zoning, and, and not necessarily going that big, that macro. Uh, you've had a few articles on your your blog, uh, Small Biz Survival, and they've talked about these rural housing issues, the challenges associated with housing in small towns. For those folks that aren't living in rural areas, what are some of the challenges when it comes to housing? Okay. Well, you know, housing used to be one of our big draws, like we had cheap housing in rural areas. And so, you know, around 2013, we used to promote that as like, move to a small town, it's more affordable. We still are, right? To, for the record, our houses are still cheaper. We just don't have a lot of supply. And Part of it is that even as our population has declined, the number of households has not changed. We The population in rural areas skews older, and so we have more people occupying a house that is too big for their household size. So people that might be happier in like a cottage or a tiny house have a four-bedroom, three-bedroom house that they are having trouble maintaining for our seniors. We also have issues, which means a lot of what we might call workforce housing is currently tied up with people living in it that are not using all of it. And so a lot of, I'm drawing a lot of that from research by Ben Winchester from University of Minnesota. He works with Extension and does a lot of research around housing. Well worth looking into if you want to learn a lot about why we have housing issues in rural areas. And then another one is that we have a lot of housing that has not been maintained and for a lot of reasons and a lot of housing that's been removed. And I think we see this in urban communities and suburbs as well, that houses get removed and they get not replaced with more housing. And then we also have a lot of estates as our population skews older, housing gets tied up in an estate and maybe in an estate process for a number of years during which it's not being used. So there's a lot of reasons that we have housing issues, but realistically, I don't think it's uniquely rural, but we do have our own spin on on why we're here. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the challenge with some of those household concerns where you have one person and they're in the three or the four bedroom house in the community, it, it, it's not just workforce housing that they're tying up. They're also really tying up like young family housing, you know, mm -hmm. opportunities for younger families to move to town and, you know, it adds growth to the school district, it adds growth, uh, uh, you know, in, in individuals that are, you know, can work uh, some of the available jobs uh, in a community. What are some of the ways you're seeing uh, smaller towns come up with solutions? What are some of the solutions that are being uh, employed to combat some of the housing challenges? Either, you know, it's kind of a mismatch of it's not the right housing for the right individuals, or there's just a lack of supply or, and I've seen, you know, your case, whether it's estates that own it or, you know, somebody died, the taxes didn't get paid. Somebody bought a tax certificate online. They live in California. They've never been to that town before. 
uh, the tickets worth three times as much, and you know, just all of those kinds of issues. But wh- what are some of the solutions you're seeing communities implement? I think the solutions to rural housing challenges turn out to be completely based on what that specific community has available to it by their own people using their own assets. And so, for example, I was in Estill County, Kentucky, and we were working around the question of housing. And so what we did was we took a group of people. My host there was called Joe Crawford. He's part of their economic development group and is kind of a legend in that part of Kentucky. But he brought together sort of his core people who knew how to do things. And so we housing was one of the challenges we decided to talk about. We started by listing off who else cares about this. And so there's the cities and the county, the housing authority, people who rehab houses, contractors, real estate professionals, surveyors, bankers, appraisers, lawyers, employers, the school district, utility companies, hardware stores, Habitat for Humanity, the development district. There's more players than that. But that was the quick list that we came up with. Suddenly they realized it wasn't just the four or five people who cared about housing. There's actually a lot of people who care about it. And I think that's the first step. Find out who is in your crowd so that you can start reaching out to them and gathering them to you and attract them to work on that. And as they put together those pieces that I just quickly listed, they realized the city ends up owning some houses, taxes unpaid, the lawn didn't get maintained and the city ended up with it, right? All of the reasons with that, but they also have nearby a technical center where they teach some building trades, not the full slate of building trades, but enough. So they were going to put together some of those existing contractors, those houses the town or city has ended up owning, and those students who are learning building skills. And then you have to put together a lot more pieces, like there needs to be insurance and the Habitat for Humanity people have supplies. The nonprofits can help bring in lots of different things. There's a college nearby. One of the employers owns a building, a house that might be a good target as well. Putting all of that together, you're going to end up with rehabbed houses that go back onto the market. But that's entirely based on the local conditions. The way you figure that out in your town is by gathering your crowd. So there's there's that. That's one set of solutions. Another one that I want to talk about is Major County, Oklahoma, Fairview, Oklahoma. They had been talking about housing for a long time. And so what they did is in order to move from talking to doing, they actually loaded up the economic development leaders in one vehicle. And they drove and looked at every house in town. And at the end of that, they were ready to take action. It's one thing to think about it abstractly while sitting in a meeting room. It's another thing to go look at every house in your community. And you can do this in a small town. And it will change your attitude from, well, we're going to talk about it next month to what are we doing? Who are we calling? What can we uh, What do we have? What can we leverage? And so uh, Major County has built two houses at, acting as their own contractor. And one of them has already sold. The other one is finished just now. So that's how you move from talking to action. Gather the people who care about it, that you are your core people who will help you. Go look at all of the houses. Change the conversation. Yeah, and I think that when you look at some of those small towns and the solutions to, to, that you can implement, um, you know, what, what I've seen at least is, is you know, same thing as what we've run into out here, which is you've got a lot of areas where you may have these really big houses that 25 or 30 or 40 years ago might have been divided into a couple of units if somebody didn't want to live there any longer. And, you know, they'd, they'd be kind of like nice apartments, uh, in, in essence, uh, and an affordable option for people. But because of current zoning codes and kind of how things have compartmentalized this is single family and this is multifamily, uh, that, that's gone away. 
I think that that is a challenge in, in some small towns. I think that another thing that's often neglected, and you know, going back to one of the other items we talked about earlier with the the buildings tour, is you know, you have in some of these downtowns areas above retail uh, and existing buildings that are completely underutilized or vacant, and you know maybe those are opportunities. We saw a bit of that in Webster City that. As the downtown, you know, the the bottom floor retail uh, filled up again, then those folks that own those uh, buildings were investing in, you know, making improvements to the second story and creating some apartment opportunities. And we've even seen it with like warehouses, old warehouse districts in towns becoming really nice, um, uh, you know, studio flats in essence mm -hmm. uh, for folks. So I think there's a number of different ways in which communities can kind of start to tackle this problem. Uh, but, you know, there it is bringing people together because you've got to figure out, you know, not everybody understands the finances behind developments and not everybody is a developer. Nor should they be. And that's why we gather people together. Your examples of upstairs downtown in Iowa is a great example because Iowa has actually collected a number of upstairs downtown housing examples together that are available, great stories of how they've done it and all across the market. Even within Webster City, that one community of 8,000 people, there's some high-end fancy apartments. There's some medium affordable apartments. And then there's the low market apartments that they're working on improving. And we need all kinds of housing in communities. And, and one last thing I would add is not just upstairs downtown. There's all kinds of adaptive reuse we can look at. Lots of small towns and rural communities have large empty school buildings that are great for adapting. And not just school buildings, all kinds of old lodge buildings and old, you know, everything you can think of. There's old buildings that could be reused and adapted. And then I think there's one example. In fact, this is going back to Estol County, Kentucky. They have a big old school building and they had run the develop the Joe Crawford and the economic development group had run the numbers on it and said, it doesn't pencil out. We can't do it. It's not going to make enough. And I suggested there's a lot of ground around that. There's a lot of the grounds around the school building. If you put six tiny houses on the grounds, would that make enough to make it? And of course, we didn't have that answer right away because we were just driving around looking at opportunities in the town. But you have to think a little more broadly. It's You're not just limited to the footprint of the structure that's already there. What else can you add to make an adaptive reuse project? Yeah, and I, we saw an example when I was in Southeast Iowa with the Greater Burlington Partnership. Uh, Fort Madison had a developer that uh, purchased one of the old elementary schools, I think it was, uh, and transformed that into some housing opportunities, which was great because totally separate matter. But one of the frustrations I've always had in a lot of places is, is that schools will do bonds to build a new school, but they won't necessarily work into the equation what do they do with the old school uh, that they're they're leaving behind and they just become empty spaces and communities that, that go very neglected uh, after a period of time.